Welcome to Conference Coverage, presented by ReachMD Radio on XM160 and powered by Health Day, featuring the latest clinical information and research findings from the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons 2011 Annual Meeting, which took place February 15th through the 19th in San Diego. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz, your host. And I'm Sue Berg. This year's meeting attracted approximately 30,000 participants from around the world. It highlighted recent advances in the diagnosis and management of musculoskeletal conditions with presentations focusing on joint fractures, osteoarthritis, and other musculoskeletal injuries, as well as factors impacting joint replacement procedure outcomes. In one study, Dr. John Patrick Meehan of the University of California at Davis and colleagues found that performing simultaneous bilateral knee replacement as compared to two separate knee replacements spaced over several months led to significantly fewer prosthetic joint infections and knee revisions within one year after surgery. However, replacing both knees during the same surgery was associated with moderately higher risk of adverse cardiovascular outcomes. Investigators evaluated over 11,000 patients who underwent simultaneous bilateral knee replacement and more than 23,000 patients who underwent two separate surgeries several months apart. Patient age averaged over 67 in both groups, and the majority of patients in both groups were women. One unexpected finding by investigators was that the risk of death was not significantly different between simultaneous bilateral knee replacement surgeries as compared with staged knee replacement surgeries. But consistent with previous findings, they found that the risk-adjusted odds of cardiovascular events and pulmonary embolism were higher with simultaneous bilateral knee replacement surgery as compared with staged surgery. Another surprising finding was that the risk of infection and knee revision surgery was two times lower among those who underwent simultaneous knee replacement surgery compared to those who underwent staged surgeries. Investigators say they hope this study will lead to future research that could identify cardiac risk factors preoperatively and assist physicians in deciding whether or not to perform simultaneous or staged bilateral knee replacements. In another study, investigators in Israel and the United States found very low incidence of symptomatic pulmonary embolism after outpatient knee arthroscopy. Until now, the risk of pulmonary embolism after knee arthroscopy has not been accurately defined. Risk factors have been suggested but not proven. One of the authors said that prior to the study, the research team anticipated a low incidence of pulmonary embolism after knee arthroscopies, but they wanted to uncover exactly what the risk was for patients and who might be at increased risk. To do this, researchers evaluated data from the New York State Department of Health's administrative database, which included over 374,000 patients undergoing over 400,000 outpatient arthroscopic knee procedures done between the years 1997 and 2006. The rate of readmission with a pulmonary embolism diagnosis within 90 days was 0.028%. Investigators found several risk factors that significantly increased the risk of pulmonary embolism, including age, gender, history of cancer, and length of the procedure itself. Patients over 30 had a six-fold greater risk of PE than patients under the age of 20. Women also had a 1.5 times greater risk than males, while a history of cancer was associated with three times more risk. Additionally, procedures lasting over 90 minutes were associated with a three-fold increased risk compared to procedures taking less than 30 minutes. However, the complexity of the surgery, comorbidities, and type of anesthesia were not found to be associated with increased risk for pulmonary embolism. 
The lead investigator of the study, Dr. Iftach Hetroni of Tel Aviv, believes that once patients and surgeons are aware of these findings, this information can improve the accuracy of informed consent prior to what is considered a very safe and common procedure. These findings also provide a basis for thromboprophylaxis decision-making immediately after surgery in patients where several of risk factors coexist. In another study, researchers found that patients undergoing elective total hip replacement or total knee replacement were at a higher risk of post-operative complications if they were prior or current smokers. The investigators found that smoking near the time of surgery was a risk factor for infection at the surgical site, pneumonia, pulmonary complications, and cardiovascular events. Current smokers also had a higher risk of dying one year after surgery compared to non-smokers. Prior smokers also experienced an increased risk of some post-operative complications, leading the investigators to suggest smoking cessation programs as a risk-lowering strategy for individuals undergoing elective hip and knee surgeries. The researchers analyzed data from over 33,000 patients in the Veterans Administration Surgical Quality Improvement Program, who underwent elective primary joint replacement procedures between October 2001 and September 2008. They measured the association of smoking status at the time of surgery with rates of complications like pneumonia, stroke, heart attack, and death at 30 days, 90 days, and one year after surgery. 95% of the patients were male. Average age, 64 years. 57% never smoked. 19% were former smokers who had stopped smoking at least one year before surgery, and 24% were current smokers. The study found that current smokers had a 41% increased risk of sight infections compared to those who never smoked. Current smokers also experienced significantly higher risk of pneumonia, stroke, and one-year mortality compared to those who never smoked. Investigators say these estimates can be used to aid discussions during the informed consent at the time of surgery and encourage discussions between patients and surgeons about considering a smoking cessation program prior to undergoing surgery. In another study, researchers at the Orthopedic Institute in Miami found that type 2 diabetes patients with poor blood sugar control had worse outcomes after total joint replacement surgery compared to those with normal blood sugar levels. Investigators performed 121 consecutive primary total joint replacements on type 2 diabetes patients and assessed preoperative hemoglobin A1c levels. Patients with poorly controlled blood sugar levels were found to have worse outcomes with respect to complications, length of hospital stay, and hospital costs after total joint replacement surgery compared to patients with normal blood sugar levels. Investigators say these findings demonstrate that good blood sugar control can allow patients undergoing elective surgery to more quickly return to a higher quality of life. Further, the investigators recommend that surgeons considering elective surgery among patients with diabetes should check for blood sugar control across the last three months, and if the levels are not optimal, consider getting the patient back under control for three months prior to surgery. In exercise news, Stretching before running does not appear to either prevent or cause injury, according to investigators. There has been recent controversy whether runners should stretch before running or not at all. Investigators followed over 2,500 runners who ran at least 10 miles per week. Of these runners, about half were randomized to a group that stretched before running, while the other half avoided stretching before running. The runners in the stretch group stretched their quadriceps, hamstrings, and calf muscles for three to five minutes immediately before running. 
the investigators found that risk factors for injury included a history of chronic injury or injury in the last four months, higher body mass index, older age, and greater running mileage. Switching the runner's pre-run stretch routine was also found to be a risk factor for injury. Those who typically stretched as part of their pre-run routine and were randomized to the no-stretching group were most likely to experience an injury. The investigators found no significant difference in injury rates between the runners who stretched and the runners who did not stretch. In both groups, the raw injury rate was 16%. In a statement, the investigators reported that although all runners switching routines were more likely to experience an injury than those who did not switch, the group that stopped stretching had more reported injuries. This implies that an immediate shift in a regimen may be more important than the regimen itself. Research was presented on the long-term functional outcomes of patients who undergo total knee replacement 20 years after surgery. The average age of patients who undergo total knee replacement is 60 to 80 years. Despite that fact that more than 90% of these patients experience a dramatic reduction in knee pain and a significant improvement in the ability to perform common activities, there have been questions about the decline in physical function over the long term. For this study, researchers at the Center for Hip and Knee Surgery in Mooresville, Indiana, evaluated functionality 20 years after knee replacement surgery. Over 1,700 total knee replacements were performed at the center between the years 1975 and 1989, and of these, 128 patients were still living after their 20-year follow-up. The average age of these patients was 82 years old. 20 years after surgery, the investigators found no implant failures. They evaluated functionality using the Knee Society scoring system and found that overall, knee replacement scored 78 out of 100 points, with walking scores averaging 37 out of 50 points and pain scores at 49 out of 50 points, 50 demarcating no pain. The investigators also found that function scores averaged 70 out of 100, mainly due to a lower score on stair climbing. In addition, 74% of patients could walk at least five blocks, and only three patients were considered housebound. The study authors conclude that although aging may cause a gradual decline in physical activity after total knee replacement, improved functional outcomes continue over the long term. These results also indicate that this group of patients demonstrates remarkable functional capacity over 20 years after the initial procedure. A study on teenage athletes reports that gender differences may significantly contribute to stress fracture risk among adolescents. The level of athletic participation also seems to play a role in these types of fractures. Researchers prospectively evaluated data submitted to an online database by local high school athletic trainers between 2007 and 2010. Among a total of 189 male and female athletes from 57 high schools, 230 stress fractures were reported. The tibia was the most frequently involved bone at nearly 50%, followed by the metatarsal, fibula, spine, pelvis, hind foot, and femur. The investigators also found that the sports most commonly causing fractures among males were track at 26%, football at 23%, and cross country at 19%. Among females, the most common sports leading to fractures were track at 28% and cross country at 23%. Compared to female athletes, Male athletes sustained fractures at an older age, higher grade, and higher body mass index. Varsity athletes suffered over half of all stress fractures. 
There has never been a comprehensive study published on stress fractures in the adolescent athlete. The authors of this study write that gender differences in risk highlight the importance of understanding more about this injury. Furthermore, the intensity of training and level of participation may influence one's risk for developing a stress injury. Lastly, in a study on orthopedic imaging, nearly 35% of all imaging costs associated with orthopedic patient encounters in the state of Pennsylvania were found to be for defensive medicine purposes. In this first prospective study to collect data on the prevalence of defensive medicine in orthopedics, the results seem to indicate that defensive imaging is both common and costly. Dr. Robert Andrew Miller of the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and colleagues evaluated data from 72 orthopedic surgeons who had over 2,000 patient encounters throughout the state of Pennsylvania. Members of the Pennsylvania Orthopedic Society were asked to voluntarily and anonymously record a consecutive series of patient imaging decisions, along with demographic information and the modality, region, and indication for each order. The investigators found that nearly 20% of the imaging tests ordered were for defensive purposes. In terms of cost, defensive imaging was responsible for nearly 34% of imaging costs, over $110,000 based on Medicare dollars for this patient cohort. MRIs were the key drivers of elevated costs associated with defensive imaging. These were the most commonly ordered imaging tests, which were far more expensive than regular x-rays. The investigators also found that surgeons who had been in practice for more than 15 years were more likely to practice defensively. The study's co-author, Dr. John Flynn, also of Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, said in a statement, that he expected young doctors coming out of medical school to be less confident due to relative inexperience and therefore order more defensive tests. By extension, as doctors became more comfortable and confident after 10 to 20 years in practice, they could be expected to order fewer tests. Instead, the investigators found the opposite was true, at least in Pennsylvania, where the study was conducted. There, a surgeon's defensive nature appears to intensify over time. The authors believe that in the current malpractice environment, orthopedic surgeons order more imaging tests of a defensive nature because over time they become more concerned that someone is going to second-guess or sue them. Thank you for listening to conference coverage from the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons 2011 Annual Meeting, which took place February 15th through the 19th in San Diego. Conference coverage is a presentation of ReachMD Radio, broadcast on XM160 and by live stream at ReachMD, and powered by HealthDay.